Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're watching The Mandalorian, Jack and I have a podcast for you. Every week, we'll discuss the latest episode of The Mandalorian and talk about other great content and maybe some not-so-great content on Disney Plus as well. As two lifelong Star Wars fans, we have a ton of fun geeking out over all the little details of the show, and we want you to join us every Monday. So search for Disney Plus Reviews. That's Disney P-L-U-S Reviews. Hey, Phil, how about that, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda says, What's the podcast? Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Jack. Sports Jack. It's Sports Jack. A new week begins. Welcome to episode 254 of the Sports Jack podcast. You mean the Red Faber episode? Red Faber. Legendary White Sox Hall of Fame pitcher, won 254 games in his major league career. One of the last pitchers allowed to legally use the spitball in Major League Baseball. Red Faber. What's his real name? Urban Clarence Faber. Yeah, red's a little more cooler. Yeah. <laughs> Family Broadcasting Corporation. In association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network, presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. It's all the way! It is! Go! It's good! It's good! Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer, this one will be relived, Chuck Freebie. Forever! Uh, I have a couple of questions about Saturday's Notre Dame-Clemson game for you. They, they played. They played. Notre Dame wins. Where do you put this in the, you know, Notre Dame, fan, Notre Dame fans have games of, you know, the 10-10 tie back in mm-hmm. the day, the, the Florida State game in 93, the this, the that. Where do you put this one? In, you know, is it, a, is it a top 10 game? Yeah, it, it'll be put in the Pantheon, top 10 games. Top 5? That remains to be seen of what happens with this Irish team. Okay. Let's say for some reason you stumble this week or against North Carolina down the road. 
which has happened before, which has happened before, it it would diminish the game a little bit. <clears throat> but that said, it's certainly the most memorable game of the last twenty five years. You put it above the Bush push simply because, well, your team won the game. And also the fact that it went to double overtime, um, prime time. I just, it's it's going to be up there. Will it be up there with the 88 game? Well, that, like I said, that depends on, on how this team winds up. One of the reasons we remember 66 and 88 is not just because the team won or tied. It's because the team went on to win the national championship. Okay. Uh, Second question, where were you at in that game? Because I found myself going, "Ah, I don't know. This this doesn't feel good. Was there any moments where you're like, Well, first of all, the red zone execution, or lack thereof, by the Irish in the first half, has you sitting there, even though they're up by a sizable margin at halftime, sitting there saying, I hope those failed opportunities don't come back to bite. Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, Clemson gets 10 points in the third quarter, and we're all knotted up at 23 going to the fourth. 26-26 in the fourth when Travis Etienne scores with 3.33 left to put Clemson up by seven. I, I said this to my son yesterday. I said, there's one side of my brain sitting there saying, Notre Dame's moving the ball. They, they're still very much in this game. And the other side of my brain says, I've seen this movie before, and it doesn't end well. Mm-hmm. So that little conflict is going on. And remember, Notre Dame had two possessions here. So the first time... They're moving the ball, and they don't get it on fourth down. Book throws one through the hands of Skronik with about, oh, 216 left, I think. And you're thinking, okay, now now you're in trouble. Now they've got to use their timeouts, but if they can get a three and out with their timeouts, they're going to have some time left on the clock. And one of the key plays of that game was the holding penalty called on Clemson on the second down play where they get ETN in the backfield because the holding penalty stops the clock for Notre Dame. And the loss on the play, they're able to accept the down and the result. So they don't have to use the timeout. Now Clemson is facing a third and 14. They brought pressure and made sure that DJ Uyangalale couldn't get the ball off, and so they forced Clemson to punt. And then, of course, the 53-yard pass from Book to Davis to take it down to the four, absolutely huge. What a breakdown in the Clemson defensive coverage there. Which I believe on Friday you said needed to happen. Didn't I tell you they had to hit some strikes downfield in that game, and they did, a couple of them to Javon McKinley. And then that one to Avery Davis. And they tried a couple of other times. They stretched the defense. And that, Corey, was what allowed the Notre Dame running game to be as effective as it was. So 
They hit the 53-yard pass. They wind up tying it up. And you're still kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, Mm -hmm. especially when Clemson scores on the first play of overtime. It's like, ugh. That was quite a strike. I thought thought they were replaying something from earlier. It's like, no, that that just happened real quick. But then I, I didn't really feel they were going to win the game until the second Dalen Hayes, the second sack of the second overtime. Ogundeji gets the first sack, but then when Dalen Hayes gets that second sack and Clemson is looking at third and forever, yeah, it's like, okay, they're, they're actually going to pull this one out and win. Any other big, huge takeaways from that game on Saturday night? Well, I thought the atmosphere was terrific. Uh, I got to stick around for the first half at the stadium. There's 11,000 people there, and I'm not going to say it sounded like 80,000 but there was a vibe and an energy in that place brought by the students that hasn't been there in a long time. And it was it was loud. It was quite frankly loud. It wasn't 80,000 loud, but for 11,000 people, there was there was a buzz in that place Saturday night. So I took that away. I thought Ian Book played one of his best games. It's not going to show up statistically, but I thought he played one of his best games as a Notre Dame quarterback because when you break down the film and you look at some of the little nuanced things that he did, let me give you an example. The touchdown pass that he throws to Avery Davis in the fourth quarter to tie it up at the end of regulation. On that play, it's designed for Book to roll to his right to get outside and have a run-pass option. The Clemson defensive end is doing his job. He's staying on the outside, containing Book to the inside. So Book kind of fakes to the inside. The defensive end now breaks his containment and comes down because he's going to tackle Book. And after the fake to the inside, now Book is able to roll to the outside, Mm -hmm. have some room, and that's where the passing lane to Avery Davis was, and he completes the pass for the touchdown. So just little things like that that Ian Book would not have been able to do two years ago when they played Clemson, things that he's learned, nuances like that, uh, I thought were very important. Also, let's take away some of the narrative that Trevor Lawrence would have made a huge difference in this game. Because DJ Uyangalale can sling it. Yeah, and that's the backup. Yeah. He's going to be a star at Clemson in a couple of years. Yes. He can flat out throw it all over the place. Now, would Trevor Lawrence have made a difference on some of those third down throws where DJ didn't throw it all that well? Maybe. Um, that rem- That we won't know probably until December 19th when these two teams are likely to play again. But if you're Notre Dame, as we said on Friday's show, if not now, when? At least the win over Clemson now gives you confidence as you go into that game on the 19th, even though you're going to face a different set of characters. If you didn't win this game, and then you have to turn around and face the defensive starters who are out and Trevor Lawrence on the 19th, how would you go into that game with any confidence that you were going to win? 
Where's that game being played? That'll be played in Charlotte. Oh, okay. And, of course, that's under the assumption that those wind up being the top two teams in the ACC. And everything goes according to plan COVID-wise. Correct. And all of the all that goes with that. But that's highly likely that those teams would rematch in the ACC championship game. Yeah, there was a fine line watching that game on Saturday night of Ian staying in that pocket too long or letting the play develop so he has more options to work with, whether it be throwing, passing, running. Yeah. I just had these moments of like, get rid of the ball. No, just just, just give him a second. As a fan watching the game, and, and you've watched a fair amount of football I games have. over the years, where would you rank that one? I liked it because I felt like at the end of the game, you had two very even teams playing one another. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like one was so much better than the other. I just felt like it was a, a, a very enjoyable back and forth. Not a 48 to 3. Oh, yeah. Not a, you know, that kind of just blowout. I, I enjoyed the game. It was a little tough to stay up that late. You probably had a long day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and then, uh, if you're like me, and God help you if you are, but if you're like me, uh, there was some wind-down time needed once yeah. I got home because that one got the, the heart rate going. I tell you, I also kept my eye on the game during the day, and I enjoyed Indiana's win. Well, I don't know anybody within the state of Indiana that wouldn't enjoy that win Yeah, because, number one, you beat a team that you haven't beaten since 1987. Number two, that team is coached by the khaki panda Jim Harbaugh. And number three, there's just something to like about Tom Allen and his team. And, you know, they have this motto, love everyone. And I, they play together with a special chemistry right now. Now, are they going to beat Ohio State in two weeks? I can't guarantee you that. That game's at the Horseshoe in Columbus, and Ohio State's really, really good. But to have an IU team in the top 10 for the first time since 1969, I mean, if you're a Hoosier fan, gobble up and absorb every second of this. Right? Treat it like this 70-degree weather. Just enjoy it <laughs> and savor it and let it soak in because it's fun. When was the last time that IU played Michigan and IU had the best player on the field? And it was really clear that Michael Penix Jr. is the best player on the field in that game. And he was making plays and all over the place. But here's the other thing. Indiana finally has a defense. How many years have we watched or listened to IU football? Hoosiers have the lead after three. Hoosiers are poised for the upset, and then the defense looks like Gandhi in the fourth quarter. And just, oh, just run all over us. Throw all over us. Not this year, baby. No, this is a Hoosier team that looks like a legitimate college football team. And why not? Dare to dream, folks. Why not dream about a Notre Dame-IU college football semifinal? Hmm. Now, I don't think it's going to happen, but let yourself enjoy that one a little bit. You know, it's been so long for Indiana to have a great team like that. You could hear it in the announcer voices on the radio broadcast. That was enjoyable to listen to. I'm sure we've got some wonderful Don Fisher clips (laughs) that have been sent our way by the good folks at Learfield. Yeah.
And that's great. Good stuff. By the way, this is the first time that the state of Indiana has had two teams ranked in the top 10 in college football since 1979. That was Purdue and Notre Dame. Now, Purdue did not play over the weekend. They have a huge game coming up this Saturday night as undefeated Northwestern faces undefeated Purdue. And if Purdue can win that game, which is at Ross-Age Stadium, uh, I think they would vault into the top 25 as well. How about that? Speaking of rating, where does Notre Dame end up this weekend? Notre Dame is number two okay, behind Alabama, ahead of Ohio State, and Clemson at number four, Florida's fifth. And, of course, the Irish will go out to Boston College Saturday. That's a 3.30 start on ABC. And they will take on the former Notre Dame quarterback, Phil Jerkovic, and the Boston College Eagles. All right. Want to cover anything else about Saturday, or you want to jump into Sunday? I, I thought the Florida-Georgia game was interesting. Florida looks like a team on the rise. They fall behind 14-0, come back to win 41-28. The USC-Arizona State game was a thrill ride. USC is down by 13 with two and a half minutes left, facing fourth and 14. Keaton Slovis, their quarterback, fires it into the end zone. It goes off the receiver's hands and into the hands of another receiver for USC who makes the touchdown catch. Trojans go for the onside kick. These things never work. Oh, it did. <laughs> and then they come down, and they're facing fourth and nine in Arizona State territory, throw for the touchdown, and win it 28-27. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you happen to see the end of the Liberty-Virginia Tech game. I did not. So Liberty, Hugh Freeze is the head coach there. They're undefeated. They're ranked in the top 25 for the first time ever not known as a football school. They're facing an ACC team in Virginia Tech. Liberty's a 17-point underdog. Game tied at 35 with about eight seconds left. Liberty decides to try to kick a 53-yard field goal. Virginia Tech blocks it and runs it in for a touchdown. But hold everything the Virginia Tech coach had called timeout just before the play to try to freeze the kicker. So now, Liberty has the ball back, fourth and six, and Hugh Freeze, the Liberty coach, says, well, my kicker's probably not making a 53-yarder, so let's throw the ball for eight, 10 yards, move it 10 yards closer, then they run a, him out there to try a 43-yard field goal. He makes it. And Liberty winds up winning 38-35. <laughs> oh, I love me a good trick play. Come on. So exciting college football on Saturday. Could not have been more the opposite on Sunday. That's a dumpster fire right there, wasn't it? Boy, the Bears are a team in crisis right now. Oof. They have no offensive line. People are coming down on Nick Foles. And, and I'm not going to bat for Nick Foles any more than I would go to bat for Mitch Trubisky on this. I don't know anybody that could quarterback this Bears team right now with this offensive line. I mean, you basically take the snap and you run for your life. <laughs> that sounds like a comedy. So the Bears come out with three quarters of absolutely a nothing burger at Tennessee, and then they do what the Bears have done this year and somehow find their offensive mojo in the fourth quarter and close that to a 24-17 loss. But that was not a seven-point football game. 
That was not a seven-point football game at all. That was a rather embarrassing performance by the Chicago Bears, who have now lost three straight. They've gone from 5-1 and one and the best record in the NFC to 5-4 and four and wondering if they'll even make the playoffs. Uh, would you agree, though, on a sunshine, sunny afternoon, there's nothing better looking than a slow-motion, perfectly thrown spiral when they do a replay of just a perfectly thrown level ball going to the receiver. That, of course, the Bears would drop, but there was a nice couple of those. It was like, oh, that's on the money. Too bad that's not going to yeah. land appropriately. Yeah. Um, they weren't the only team that had problems yesterday, though. The Colts, no offense, but that was the way to describe the Colts yesterday. No offense. They lose to Baltimore by a count of 24-10, to 10, so they're now out of first place in the AFC South behind the Tennessee team that beat the Bears. And the Lions went ahead and made it a hat trick, losing to the Vikings <laughs> by a count of 34-20. to 20. Dalvin Cook, really good running back for Minnesota, folks. 206 yards rushing and a couple of touchdowns. And so the Vikings all of a sudden have started to get hot in the NFC, beating Green Bay and Detroit in back-to-back weeks. By the way, if you're looking for good football tonight, you're not going to see it. It's New England with two wins, facing the Jets with none on Monday Night Football. It's really hard to watch this Bears train wreck and then watch a team like the Steelers just do what they do, or Kansas City. (laughs) Steelers, uh, they have now had more double-digit come-from-behind wins by any Steelers team since... 1953, and somehow Mike Tomlin's crew is still undefeated after rallying from double digits down yesterday at Dallas. And how about the beatdown that Drew Brees and the Saints put on Tampa Bay last night? 38-3. to It was ballyhooed as this big Brees-Brady showdown, but only one offense showed up. Where was that game at? That was in Tampa. Was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that didn't seem to matter to Breeze and the Saints. They looked really, really good last night. High school football, Corey, has now moved to the regional level in Indiana and the district championships in Michigan. Over the weekend, not a lot of great games. Elkhart wins its first sectional championship as the unified Elkhart football team, holding off Chesterton 14-10. The Lions didn't play really well, to be honest with you. Uh, and give Chesterton credit for that because they they challenged Elkhart, especially with the defense. Uh, the Lions get a touchdown from Derek Woods with about six minutes left, and the defense holds on down the stretch. Ty Winters, a big sack to help seal the deal. So Elkhart wins 14-10. to They'll face Merrillville in the regional. Merrillville, coached by the former Warsaw star Brad Cease, has had a lot of kids move into its football program this year. Um, remember early back in July and August when the Hammond schools said, we're not playing football this year. Mm-hmm. A lot of Hammond kids transferred to Merrillville. Now, later in the year, Hammond said, oh, well, we will play football. But by that time, a lot of the star players had left. And they wound up at Merrillville. And they've made a difference on that Merrillville team. So we'll see couple of pretty talented teams square off Friday night on TV 46. That'll be our game, Merrillville at Elkhart in the 6A Regional. 
Also over the weekend, Mishawaka wins the sectional title. First time in their long history of football that they've won three straight sectionals. As they knocked off Adams, Drew Mason had a big game with four touchdowns. Marion was very impressive on TV 46, burying Jimtown by a count of 49 to 19. And the game really wasn't that close. We had running clock the whole second half. Pioneer eliminates Bremen 30 to 14. Congratulations to Wittemack. John Hendricks and the Warriors lost by 29 in the regular season to North Judson. They turn around and beat the Blue Jays 14 to 8 in the sectional final. And so they'll move on and face Lafayette Catholic Central. Friday night down at Rodebush Field in Winnemac. Hey, before we blow past high school football, I've noticed in the last couple of years since you and I have been doing this, you can't, uh, you got to keep an eye on the teams down the road there, the Chestertons, the Valpos, the Merrivilles. There's some decent ball being played. Oh, up in the region, they're very proud of the ball they play. And so we've got two Doonland versus Northern Indiana Conference showdowns coming up on Friday night. We talked about Merrillville and Elkhart, and we'll yeah. talk about that more as the week goes on. Mishawaka will go to Valparaiso and play the defending state runner-ups in Class 5A. And Valpo last year did a tap dance on Mishawaka, beat him 49-zip here at Steel Stadium. Keith Kinder, the Mishawaka coach, feels that his team is vastly improved over last year. Valpo may have taken a slight step back from last year, so that might be a little more even matchup this time around. Okay. Up in Michigan, Lakeshore advanced with a forfeit, and they will play St. Joseph in another war on the shore, this one for a sectional championship on Friday night, as the Bears had no problems with Harper Creek. They're getting a terrific year out of Griffin Shinrock, their wide receiver, who had another 100-yard receiving game on Friday night. So that will be an interesting matchup. Edwardsburg crushes Vicksburg on Friday night. I think the final was 63-7. to I'm not sure. But the Eddies will face Paw Paw in a sectional championship game. So, And Buchanan had no problems with Brandywine. So it's Buchanan and Constantine. Friday night, up at the home of the Bucks, Constantine, a winner over Parchment Saturday afternoon. NASCAR, Chase Elliott, uh, the third youngest man to win a NASCAR Series championship. He's 24 years old. Wow. He currently is the most popular driver in NASCAR, not just because of winning. His daddy, Bill Elliott, awesome Bill from Dawsonville, Georgia, uh, was a very popular driver back in the late 90s. And he retired, and when Chase came onto the scene, of course, with those kind of bloodlines, it was much like when Dale Earnhardt Jr. came onto the scenes following his daddy. Uh, So people who were used to rooting for that driver naturally kind of gravitate towards the sun. And Chase Elliott holds off the crew yesterday at Phoenix, wins the NASCAR Cup Series, 24 years old, and what a future he's got in front of him. And there was kind of a neat scene towards the end because Chase Elliott was a teammate of Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson retired after yesterday's race, and he is by far the most successful NASCAR driver of the last 15 years. Uh, I think he won something like seven NASCAR Series championships. So there was a little scene where after Elliott wins the race, Jimmy Johnson drives up next to him 
and kind of bumps his door a little bit as though he's passing the torch from his successful reign to Chase Elliott. And Chase Elliott seems to have the moxie where he might be able to to have a very successful NASCAR career. What does Jimmy do now? Announcing? Uh, uh, he could ownership? go into announcing. Uh, I would expect ownership. Yeah. I, I don't think he's just going to sever himself from NASCAR. I, I would expect some sort of car ownership at, over the course of time. Okay. We will see, though. That's It's an expensive sport. <laughs> and then, of course, golf getting ready for the Masters this week down at Augusta National. We're so used, Corey, to watching this tournament in the spring. Yes. It comes on first or second weekend of April. It's still cold up here. And you watch that. You see the beautiful flowers and Magnolia Lane. It's going to be completely different looking at this course in autumn. You know, you're probably going to be in the midst up here. The leaves are, are really falling. We still have some color. Down there, you're probably going to be in the midst of almost peak color season down there. So how much different will Augusta National look? And what will the course play like in November as opposed to in April? That, that's going to be fascinating to watch this week. Oh, and that kicks off this week. Okay. Yeah, Thursday mm-hmm. is the first round. Any, any names bubbling to the top like, you need to watch this guy? Well, all eyes will be on Tiger after what he did at Augusta last year, making his comeback by winning the green jacket. But uh, the guys that have dominated this season, uh, guys like Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka and the big hitters, can that course at Augusta National, which isn't necessarily the longest course, can it contain those guys or are those guys going to be making a lot of eagles and birdies just because of their ability to drive the ball so well off the tee? Okay. When's that start? Is that like a Thursday? Thursday Wednesday? is the opening round. Okay. All right. And uh, one quick high school girls basketball note. Congratulations to the Penn Lady Kingsmen. They are the number one team in the Indiana Basketball Coaches Association poll this week. Marion is 18th. Washington is 19th. But Christy Kaneski's team, as we discussed here last week, is loaded. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they navigate through the season. Well, you got your hands on the steering wheel today. What would you like to do next? Well, let's go to the ever-popular, overrated, underrated segment. Okay. Do you have any things to bring to the table? You know, I, I kind of sputtered this morning. I really didn't have something. Uh, I kind of used all my energy on, on Friday's uh, list. How about you? R-E-M. Oh, boy. R-E-M. <clears throat> You know, I wish they were still making music. I yeah. wish they were still, they still had their voice, uh, you know, a card in the game. Oh, boy. I would say underrated. I would agree. Yeah. I, I, I always really enjoyed their stuff. Like, there was a time when they were hotter than hot, right in there, kind of alongside you two. Uh, the document record, whatever that record was after that, Green, the one uh, album with Losing My Religion was on there. Yeah. Uh, and then that that massive, uh, I think it was Automatic for the People, Everybody Hurts was on that record. And then they kind of fizzled a little bit and be- became an acquired taste. But I, I wouldn't mind if uh, if those guys, well, what's left of them, got together and, and uh, put something out, especially with the atmosphere of the world right now. They seem to lean towards what people might be 
singing about or thinking about right. or struggling with. Yeah. So I'd say underrated. Coldplay. Yeah, that that feels like uh, one of those bands you either really love them or you just can't stand them. I heard a Coldplay. Where did I? Oh, I heard it during the Biden speech on Saturday night during fireworks. I thought, oh, there, there's that. Because you always hear these days when somebody political uses an artist's song and it's like, hey, 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 you didn't, you didn't have permission. Let's not do that again. Right. So I was surprised that a Coldplay song was being played. I like them. Uh, the last record was a little bit of a fizzle, but I've I've liked them. Uh, they're gigantic. They've done some interesting technology stuff in their shows that really bring the crowd together. I would say, I would say a majority of people would say they're overrated. I personally would say they're underrated, and I personally would agree with you. And I I think that that's an accurate sentiment. I think they're one of those bands that for whatever reason people kind of gravitate away from them yeah and say but i i think their stuff has been very creative and i think they they kind of strike a different niche i mean viva la vida was not like anything else that was playing at that time yep and so to be able and to it really stood out on the radio when you have a song like that Right, and so to be able to be able to create something like that and courageous enough to put it out there mm-hmm. and say, this is what we're going to be, this is who we are, I, I give them props for that. It's really something for an artist to create a song that doesn't sound anything like anything else on the radio, but then becomes a hit. Right. That's, that is a, you know, the first person that comes to mind is Beck. Remember when he came out back in the day? Oh, yeah. That was so left field, like, what is this? And then it becomes a hit song. So, And occasionally you'll have people like that, but then they become one-hit wonders. Yes. And that's the difference with Coldplay in yeah. my mind. Yeah. I'll throw one, and, and I throw this out there not really knowing how you feel about this group. Led Zeppelin. You know, that's funny you bring that up. I watched a documentary on Amazon Prime over the weekend. Uh, Led Zeppelin, they were talking about the the album number four, which was their fourth album. Mm-hmm. And my son asked me recently if you could go back in time and see somebody live, who would it be? And I said, well, I'd love to, to have seen the Beatles. Granted, it wasn't a great show because you, you couldn't hear them. Right. You know, no, no, stadium, no yeah. stadium could handle it, which is why they stopped touring. But Led Zeppelin's that other one was like, I would have liked to have seen them because so many of the artists today kind of consider them the top of their game when that happened. But watching that documentary and the types of crowd they had, and I don't mean to sound like a nitty, I'm just not into the um, extracurricular activities that happened at a show the like that. The drug use. Let's yeah. call it what it was. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I just, uh, and you could just, you could get a sense of that. And I was like, ah, I would have liked to have, I would like to have seen them, but you know, Maybe in the comfort of a press box. <laughs> but I would say, oh boy, I would say, <sighs> overrated. I'm going to agree with you. There, And part of that is personal taste. Mm-hmm. Part of that is personal preference. I think they had outstanding individual talent. Ooh, I would agree with that. But I think collectively, 
they rarely hit it out of the park. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's one of those things where you look at each member. I mean, Jimmy Page by himself. Top five. Yeah. Top five. But it's just like collectively. Yeah. I'm not sure that they they were all that influential or changed the game or did any. I mean, obviously they have some songs with lasting power, but overall, yeah, I, I would say Led Zeppelin overrated. I would I would say though, if you're a vinyl collector and Christmas is sneaking up on you, and a particular 13 year old asked for his own record player this year, mm-hmm. I would put a couple of their records in the hey, this is a must have in your little cart, in your little uh, your little uh, milk carton case. Get uh, get Led Zeppelin four, get physical graffiti, and maybe Led Zeppelin one, and you'd be okay. Get definitely get four for sure, but. Um, yeah, overrated. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. November 9th, 1973, Piano Man on the radio and in the local drugstores. Uh, where'd you buy records or tapes when you were little? G.L. Perry? Um, you could get them there. Yeah. yeah, you could get them, I think, then than you can now. Kmart? Of course, now you just download it. Yeah, we, I could turn to my phone right, right now and press a button. Mm-hmm. All right, this feels good. So uh, please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Sometimes Chuck disappears for a week, but then he reappears and everything's right in the world. Also, you mentioned November 9th, 1973. Yes. November 9th, I'm not going to give the year. Birth of Diane Schroeder, who became Diane Freebie, who became the love of my life. Happy birthday to Diane. I hear there's cake in the future. There is. Does she have a favorite cake? Chocolate. Yeah, me too. Me yeah. too. The, there's no need to get all exotic about it. Mm-hmm. There's chocolate. Will there be like Zoom activity and FaceTime activity? That's a good question. That's yeah. kind of up to the individual children of the Freebie family who should respond properly if you know what I mean. She brought you into this world. And she'll take you she'll out. She'll take you out. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode until next time, Yak fans. Ooga Red Faber. We had some fun yeah the show is done now we gotta run it's sport check sport check sport check is not filmed in front of a live studio audience we done when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.